You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. This is the week of Christmas, and as slow as 2020 has been, it seems like the Christmas season has flown right by. Uh, we have been tracking through the book of Luke, and we're, we've gone back to the, uh, the beginning of Luke, just to, the, the events leading up to Jesus' birth as we've gotten closer and closer to Christmas. So I'm going to get right into this. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow along or you can just listen to me. I'm going to read from Luke 2, verses 1 to 20. I'm sure many of you, whether you go to our church uh, or whether you have any religious background at all, I'm sure many of you have heard these verses before, especially at Christmas. And maybe some of you have heard them every single year uh, that you've been alive at Christmas. But we're going to read Luke chapter twenty verses one, Luke chapter two verses one to twenty. That's where we're going to be. It says this: In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or among where his favor rests. When When the angels went away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and with and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. One of my greatest fears in preparing sermons is I don't know if I've told a story or not before. Uh, Sometimes I'll trade illustrations or I'll trace something that's happened in my life. And I don't know if I've told that to one person or I've actually told a story to the entire church. Because I know the reaction I'm going to get. Everyone's going to lean back. Like, yeah, pastor, we've heard this one before. We know how it ends. We know what's going to happen. We know where you're going with this. We've heard this one before. <laughs> and I honestly don't know. Sometimes I'm preparing and and I've, I'm like, 
I don't know if I've told this before or if I've just told this to my wife. Because when we retell or rehear the same story over and over and over again, it gets old. You know, in conversation with your friend, if they keep telling the same story over and over and over again, you can't, you're not going to believe this happened to me. He's like, dude, I, we know. We've heard it before. It gets old. Here we go again. The funny thing is, in, in Luke 2, this is, a, this is something that likely, if you have any church background at all, you've heard this story before. Maybe you have heard a sermon on this passage every single Christmas on this Sunday since you have been born. <laughs> I was tempted to actually not do this passage, even though it was on the schedule to do this one. But I, 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 I came to it and I'm like, man, we've heard this one before. I've heard so many messages. I've heard Linus say it in Charlie Brown Christmas. We read it to our kids every single Christmas Eve. And yet it's a story we keep coming back to. And and I guess as I was reading through it, I was like, what gives it its profoundness, its profundity? One of my favorite my favorite, really, musical artist, other than Patrick Shea at our church. <laughs> My favorite musical artist in one of his songs that he wrote about Christmas, Christian artist, he talks about the retelling of this story, how we gather every Christmas and retell the same story. And he uses these words, which I thought were really brilliant. It's ancient but never old. It's an ancient story. It's been passed down from generations for the last 2,000 years. But it's never old. What is it that brings us back again? What gives it its profundity? Is it the scene? You know, the, the, the night sky, the snow falling, the white Christmas, the perfect, you know, Christmas lights... Well, none of that was, would have been true in this case. Of course, they're in the Middle East. It was warm. There was no snow. Uh, you know, in, in, the, in the hymn, all is calm, all is bright. Well, it would have been very dark. And it certainly, uh, for a mother giving birth, would not have been calm. Was it the nativity scene? You know, where animals are gathering around. And, you know, obviously there's shepherds and... and uh, and, you know, the little nativity scenes we play with, we put all the animals in, and the shepherds and the wise men are there and in the stable. But in our, in our story that we just read from the actual account of what happened, uh, we don't even know if it's a stable or a cave or whether they were just in, in kind of a main room where there was a manger. We don't even know if animals were there. We kind of assume they were because it was a manger that they put the baby in, but it could have just been what they had laying around. So... We don't even know if that the nativity scene it would really happen the way that we kind of envision it happening every single Christmas. So what is it that gives this story its profoundness that we keep coming back to it? Even what is known in the story, as I've already said, is the manger, where it says in verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. And then later on, the angels tell the shepherds, this is going to be a sign for you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. 
one of the one commentary and as I was reading gave this great analogy that I had a dog growing up that I could picture in my head is often when you point something out to a dog what do they do they look at your finger not the thing you're actually pointing at and and I'm afraid at Christmas that that same thing often happens it's like God is pointing at something even the author Luke is pointing at something for us that gives this story its profoundness and and we often make it about the manger but it's not about the manger it's not about the scene it's not about all of the christmas decorations and everything that we make christmas out to be that we we try to find this warm cozy feeling of christmas and and i'm afraid often for christmas and i'm sure this is this case with you as it is with me is is we're looking at the finger not actually at what god is pointing at But here is what gives this story its profundity. It's about the child. It's about the child. The manger was merely a sign pointing to the child. So it's about the child. And no, I'm not talking about baby Yoda or Grogu for those who are Mandalorian fans. But it's about the child. The key part, the crux of this Christmas story, the climax of this Christmas story is actually the declaration. It's when there are shepherds keeping watch over their their flocks at night in verse 8, and then an angel of the Lord appears, and then there's glory that shines, shines around him. We've talked about this before as a church. Glory represents something. It's something that is otherworldly. It's something that doesn't come from... uh from humans. Glory is something beyond our normal experience and their reaction to this angel and this glory that shone around him, they were filled with fear. They were terrified. I mean, they didn't understand it. It's something they had never experienced before. That's what glory is. And the angel's response in verse 10 is, fear not. And here's why. Here's why, you, here's why you shouldn't be afraid. We bring good news. I bring good news to you that's going to result in great joy. But here's why it was good news. It wasn't because you're going to get tax breaks on your next income tax return. You're not going to get it's not cuz you're going to get the latest gadget for Christmas. Here's why this is good news of great that's going to result in great joy. It's the declaration of who this child is. He says, "I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people." And here's why. For unto you is born this day in the city of David Two things, a savior, that this child would be one to come into this world to save the world from their sins. As Luke 19 verse 10 later says, Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. That by his death, burial, and resurrection, we could have forgiveness of our sins and be saved and be restored into right relationship with God. Because we couldn't save ourselves. But not only that, he says, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Which really just means he's the anointed one, the king, and Lord who, would, who is coming to bring his kingdom of light and hope into this world, the kingdom of God. That's who this child is. Savior and Lord. I don't think it's coincidence that Luke starts this account in chapter 2 
with the most important, powerful, influential person to exist. Verse 1, in those days a, a decree went out from who? Caesar Augustus. Well, a little history lesson for you. But Caesar Augustus pretty much had full control of the world at that point. Uh, after the fall of Julius Caesar, if you know any, if you've read the Shakespeare account, you know, after the fall of Julius Caesar, the Roman Empire was a Senate. It was run by a Senate, by senators. And and, and through that, though, it had declined. It was kind of on the 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 edge of collapsing or at least like uh, dividing. And so what they did to regain their strength was they gave all power rather than the Senate where there's multiple people who would disagree, who would turn their backs on each other as they did to Julius Caesar. They gave all power to Caesar Augustus to make, so it it was no longer a, a Senate. It was a dictatorship. And Caesar Augustus was widely known as the one who saved the Roman Empire. He was known as the Savior and Lord of the earth. (laughs) And I don't think it's coincidence that this strong contrast that Caesar Augustus, the Savior and Lord of of the earth, all of a sudden now Luke goes through and, and, and a little baby laying in a manger. Luke is telling us, no, this is actually the Savior and Lord of the earth. This is the Savior. This is the Lord. Guys, it's who this child is that gives it its profundity. That's why we keep coming back to this story. We often look for profoundness in so many other places. For me, it's traditions or the movies we watch or the food that we eat at Christmas. But that Jesus is Savior and Lord That's what makes Christmas profound. Don't neglect Christ as Lord and what that means for you. I think we we do focus on Jesus as Savior. You know, that Jesus came through his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, uh, saved us from the penalty of of our sins. So I think we focus on Jesus as Savior, but here's, here's kind of what, what I want you to cling to. I want you to think about, especially as Christians and how we often think of the gospel, the good news of great joy, that the message of the gospel to receive forgiveness and spend eternity with God, we often think of that as the only thing that matters. But if Jesus is Lord, the gospel is so much more than that. Just a faith transaction between you and God. The good news of great joy of Jesus is Lord. It means that everything matters. So don't limit the gospel to just a formula to get to heaven because the gospel changes everything because it brings heaven to earth. I'm going to expand on this in a second, but I kind of want to get into this because because Jesus is Lord, everything matters. Everything matters. He didn't just restore you to right relationship with himself. He came to restore the entire world. Every part of your life matters. Every part of this world matters. We often as Christians, we separate secular from sacred. Like these are the things that God doesn't care about. And these are the things that God 
does care about. But in our story, again, I don't think it's coincidence that heaven comes down and touches a group of shepherds, everyday people just going about their day job. What we would sometimes think is secular, like they're doing secular work by shepherding. In fact, the nature of their work, because they were dealing with, you know, with animals, they were viewed as unclean. They weren't even fit They were excluded from temple worship, what we would think of as sacred parts of life. Not only that, Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, very normal people wrapped in swaddling clothes like every poor baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes, many of them laid in a manger because they had nowhere else to put a baby. Everything about this scene is so normal. It's so secular. It's not in a place of worship or what we would define as a place of worship. It didn't happen to priests. It didn't happen with royal robes. It was so normal. But what makes this so profound and so spiritual is that Jesus is Lord and everything changes. Jesus didn't come to just save your world. He came to restore the, to save your world. He came to restore the entire world. His lordship is a restoration of the way life was intended to always be lived. And we call that the kingdom of God. Guys, we have such a small view of the gospel that really needs to be broadened. Uh, My wife, Nikki, is reading this book. Uh, and I thought this was really, this was really great. And, and here's a little snippet from the book. It says this: salvation in my tradition, and this kind of stuck with me because I kind of struggled with the same thing. Salvation in my faith tradition was merely just a faith transaction between a sinner and God. That was the good news. That was the gospel. It's a faith transaction between sinner and God. When the transaction was made, this this. The sinner was guaranteed eternal life. By the way, that's not wrong, but let me continue. Salvation was primarily about getting to heaven, and the gospel is the means or the formula to get there. Again, that is true. But here's the problem. The problem is that understanding of the gospel is a constricted understanding of the kingdom of God, which is central to, of course, the Lord's Prayer and all of the gospels. And it leads us to say things like, well, to think that God doesn't care about a lot of parts of life. He only cares about the, uh, you know, the, the, the actual, the faith transaction. It's, he goes on to name an example of talking to someone in his church where this woman says, well, what would it matter? What will it matter in heaven if your children speak French, as long as they are saved? That's kind of the attitude that I struggled with a lot. It's like, what will it matter if I do all these things as long as you're saved? And what that does is it's divorcing heaven and earth. It's almost like a hidden form of Gnosticism where uh, what is spiritual is good, what is secular is bad, or what is of heaven is good, what is of earth is bad. And it leads us to believe that God only cares about some things in our life. God God seems to say only some things in your life matter. But because Jesus came as Lord, where he's Lord over everything, and he came to bring his kingdom to earth, not just to restore you, but to restore the entire world, doing what is right in your life matters in every part of your life. 
creating beauty in your work, showing the world a new way to work, creating beauty like Kat Luby at our church who who uh, creates glass and, and, and beautiful artwork. Carly, crea- Carly creates amazing pour overs at her coffee shop, which are my favorite, my favorite drink you can possibly get. Creating beauty in your work matters. Demonstrating love and service to your family matters. Seeking and fighting for equity and justice for all people in your workplace, in your schools, in your friend groups, wherever that is seeking equity and justice for all people, it matters. Because it's seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a new way of life made possible in the name of Jesus. So it all matters because Jesus is Lord of it all. Guys, I'm going to say this. And I, I I want us to wrestle with this. That Jesus didn't just come to earth so that you could go to heaven. He came to earth to bring heaven to you. Jesus didn't come to earth just so you could go to heaven. He came to earth to bring heaven to you and it's affected in every part of your life and that's why every part of your life matters. The shepherds, everyday people, going about their day job, they experience heaven brought down to them. And after that great declaration in verse 10, or verse 11 I should say, What appears beside this angel of the Lord uh, in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased or uh, uh, peace among where his favor rests, which refers to his people. (laughs) You know, when when we usually read this at Christmas, when we think, Okay, so there's this multitude of heavenly hosts, like this choir who's singing the hallelujah chorus. Here's the tenor section. Here's the bass section. Here's the alto section. I'm not sure where we ever got that from because heavenly host refers to an army. It's an army of angels, which would have been an intimidating sight, probably contributed to their their fear. It was an army of angels that appeared before them saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among whom he is pleased. So it's an army of angels declaring peace. And here's where I believe we have peace. Because this was their Lord coming with his kingdom. Don't miss this because this is amazing. I believe there's an army of angels coming to declare war on the kingdom of darkness, even death itself, because the king had finally arrived. And this is how we have peace. Because Jesus came as Lord, guys, not only does everything matter in your life and in this world, here's how we respond. We give over control to that king. Because Jesus came as Lord, our response, if we want peace in our families, if we want peace in our churches, if we want peace uh, in our schools, if we want peace in our world, we have to give over control to the true king who will bring his kingdom of light into this world the way that this world was always intended to be 
to be. See, when Jesus, where Jesus' lordship ends, that's where hostility begins. That's the way it was from the beginning when Adam and Eve, right from the beginning, uh, said, no, we don't want to follow God as our king. We don't want to follow God as our Lord. We want to be Lord of our own life. That's where hostility began. And not only did it bring hostility between God and people, but it also brought hostility between person to person, between Adam and Eve. They start blaming each other for who was guilty, who was at fault. Not only that, the next generation with Cain and Abel, we see murder happen in their own family because they're jealousy and strife against one another. Where Jesus' lordship ends, that's where hostility begins. Colossians 1 verse 16, if uh, you were part of our church last year, we went through the book of Colossians in a series called But First Jesus, and it talks about the preeminence of Jesus in life. And Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And it says this, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And here's, here's kind of the point where we trip up. They're created for him. And I think why Colossians names thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, because we are often, we do not want to give over our authority, like to live for him as our Lord and King, a refusal to submit to him as Lord. I mean, that happens in marriages. There's hostility in marriages when both sides want to control their marriage or at least one side wants to control their marriage and they're not willing to give over their authority. They're not willing to give over control to Jesus in their marriage to submit to him first and then submit to one another. That's how hostility happens in marriages. Both want claim, both want control, both want to steer the ship. That's what happens in families. And right now my heart is is breaking for families because with everything going on, there are families that are at war with each other. And it's really everyone wants control. Everyone wants to, thinks they know what is right. And everyone wants everyone else to submit to them. Guys, if our families want to be at peace, we have to submit to Jesus as our Lord. Happens in friend groups. And it also happens in nations where in Colossians 1, where thrones and rulers and, 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 and dominions and authorities, it's, it's where God's name is used and abused and often used as a weapon for, to gain more power rather than actually submitting to Jesus as the Lord. Man, that can happen from governments throughout history. It has happened to governments throughout history. Still is happening today. But it could also happen to a, down to a controlling husband who's still throwing out scripture references in order to control his family and his wife. But they ultimately refuse to submit to Jesus as their Lord. And hostility begins. I think the desire for control, it comes from a fear of obviously letting go, giving over your life to someone else. Uh, in the book of Matthew, where it details a little bit different account of Jesus' birth, it not different, but it just highlights different people, not the shepherds, but the wise men. And um, But in Matthew, it, it chronicles that there, there was a king who was so paranoid and afraid of 
competition of someone else claiming his throne, claiming his authority, claiming his control that there was talk of a new king that had come, obviously Jesus. Herod is so paranoid, he goes as far to instill so much hostility to commit one of the evilest acts throughout history and says every male child shall be slaughtered because he was so paranoid of losing his control. Hostility ends though, guys, where Jesus' lordship begins. There'd be a lot of marriages that'd be saved if husband and wife were willing to submit to Jesus as their Lord in every situation, to give up control of their life and give it over to Jesus. (laughs) There'd be a lot of nations saved if that happened. I think it's amazing that in the same account where there's this king that's so paranoid of losing control to submit to another person that he commits one of the most evil acts ever in the history of this world, that at the same time, there are three kings that come from a different land, a different culture, a different language. They look different. They probably dress different. They have different traditions, but they come hundreds of miles to bow down to a baby. To submit themselves, these big influential people to submit themselves to the true king. Jesus brings peace to his people. The lowly and those who give up control into his hands. That's those who he says on whom his favor rests. Christmas is profound because of who Jesus is. And don't miss that. Because Jesus is Lord, everything matters. Because Jesus is Lord, you've got to give up control. There's an African-American Christmas spiritual that was written. It was made famous by Mahalia Jackson. It goes like this. This is before the Civil Rights Movement and Beautiful lyrics. It's called Sweet Little Jesus Boy. It says this. Sweet little Jesus boy, they made you be born in a manger. Sweet little Jesus boy, sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you were. Didn't know you'd come to save us, Lord, to take our sins away. Our eyes were blind. We could not see. We didn't know who you were. Long time ago, you were born. Born in a manger, Lord. Sweet little Jesus boy, the world treats you mean, Lord, treats me mean too. But that's how things are down here. And here's why. We don't know who you are. You've told us how we are trying. Master, you've shown us how, even when you were dying, just seems like we can't do right. Look how we treated you. But please, sir, forgive us, Lord. We didn't know it was you. Sweet little Jesus boy. Born a long time ago, sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you were. The Christmas story, guys, is only profound because of who this child is. (laughs) Yes, it's an ancient story. But it's never old. 
God in heaven, thank you so much that you came as our Savior and our Lord. And because you came as our Lord, everything changes. Not just am I can be restored to a right relationship with you, but that everything in this world will change. Lord, thank you to, for, for being our King, for allowing us to live a new life. Lord, thank you that you didn't just come so that I could go to heaven. You came to bring heaven to me, to this world. And God, I pray for peace in our families, in our churches, and in our nation. And God, I pray this prayer that we would know who you are. You are our true Lord. Pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.